Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode hello hello welcome back to the consummate athlete podcast peter how's it going it's going well yeah we're enjoying summer and uh you know we're back coaching here now so it's it's good i'm having fun with that really trying to you know appreciate the the opportunity to do that now that we we haven't been able to do it for a while yes very exciting actually getting out you know getting on the trails of people Definitely, definitely exciting times, and we have our big adventure coming up this week, so that's that's pretty exciting. The house is full of packing lists and camping gear, and yeah, we're gonna go for a, a big, a big run, a big walk, walk run in the park, uh, so to speak. I guess. Yeah, we'll we'll let everyone know how that goes next week. Um, but this week we are kind of continuing our trajectory of talking. Sort of all about the the more mental side of performance, um, but not not in the way that you'd expect. So last week we had Becky Kane of Todoist on, uh, sort of talking about how to you know kind of manage your never ending to do list and calendar and sort of make more time in your schedule for working out, which is a topic that I absolutely love talking right, about. Right, so more down that sort of productivity or or self organization organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is my jam. Um, and this week, I think we're we're almost like sort of tiptoeing towards straight up mental performance. With yeah. this week, this is like our bridge towards normal like mental performance for sport. Yeah, we have Andrew Bernstein on, who he wrote a book called "The Myth of Stress" over ten years ago, and we talk about that and how the the book, this new edition of the book, has changed the name. It's now called. Uh, breaking the stress cycle. I actually, despite his recommendation not to buy the the book again, I did buy the book again this time in hardcover, and I'm quite happy. So I actually remember you reading the myth of stress. You actually recommended it to me, and I ended up reading it like eight years ago when we were in California for our first California trip together. Yeah, it's good. And we've mentioned a few different times some of the concepts from it. This idea of like whenever you're saying should or should not, you know, sort of a quick way to say, you know, this is probably a stressful thing. They should appreciate me. You know, I should not be here. I should, you know, whatever. Should not. I should win this race to sure. put like an athletic point Shouldn't on get it. dropped. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I was very excited. Uh, Andrew uh, is a guest that I was really excited to have on and I have wanted to have on for a while just to talk through it, right? It's 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 for, it's fun for me when we have these people on who, you know, I've really appreciated their book, their process, their ideas to, know, you know, ask the questions that, you know, came up for me as we read the book and to work through some of the concepts. And I think you were pretty pleasantly surprised to realize that he actually has a bit of like a cycling... Yeah, I didn't uh, know that. I found out about him through CrossFit. Um, actually, he had done some presentations. You know, he's done presentations for Coca-Cola and some of these really big companies. And CrossFit is a pretty big company, I guess, as well. So he's worked with the athletes, you know, the CrossFit athletes. So that's how I had found out about his book uh, many years ago. Uh, but yeah, he, he mentioned <laughs> we, we get into talking about, you know, indoor cycling and watts and stuff as well, uh, because he's been doing that like lots of people who have found cycling through the, the pandemic indoors, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited for everyone to listen to this. I know, uh, you know, 
everyone could use a little bit of a, a new way to look at stress. Let's let's be real here. So even if you don't feel like a particularly stressed out individual, I think you can still definitely get a lot from this episode. Because, I mean, it's not just talking about stress where you feel that, like, you know, tight chest, heart racing kind of stress. We're talking about, like, the everyday. Well, it could be any of these things, right? The, the reason I think I like this book is because it goes through, like, all pretty much any example you can think of marital, work, you know, uh, workout, fitness, health, you know, I shouldn't be sick. Um, I like that you went to marital first. Well, there, it, it's just, it's a common one, right? But, it, you know, parents is another one, you know, there's all these ones. So it, it goes through a lot of different case studies in the book. Uh, and then we also talk about, he has a website as well that you can go through and it's, it's great. We talk about it a few times, um, the Resilience Academy. Uh, and so it's another place you can sort of work through these things, right? And, and there is a worksheet that's part, it's in the back of the book. There's free versions you can probably find online and through the Resilience Academy. Uh, but that's what this is. This act of insight is what he calls it. And that's the process that the book goes through is the seven step ha- uh, system, you know, step wise process where you're working through this concept. I should not be, I should, I should be rich. Right. And then we look at that and turn it around and go through these seven steps where we look at how we're thinking about that, that thought, that thought process. That's that stressful item. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Andrew Bernstein. You can head over to consummateathlete.com when you're done for show notes, links to everything we mentioned. And of course, the link to our inside tracker page where you can get 25% off everything in their store. So definitely check it out at consummateathlete.com. And now enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am very excited today. One of my favorite books, one that we've referred to on the store. I'm going to start again. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I am very excited today. We have an author that I have been just the biggest fan of his books over the last 10 years. And he has a new edition coming out that we're here to talk to him about. So Andy Bernstein, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Now, I wanted to start, you know, the, your book, the new edition, it comes out today, Breaking the Stress Cycle. Uh, do you want to tell me, you know, a bit about it? Why the change in name and what, what, what is it all about? What can I expect as a fan of the book? Yeah, so it came out uh, 10 years ago, as you mentioned, it was called The Myth of Stress. And when, when The Myth of Stress came out, there's this big, uh, for people who haven't seen the the old uh, jacket, there's this big like red starburst on it that says stress is very real, but what causes it and how to eliminate it have been greatly misunderstood until now. So I thought calling it the myth of stress was sort of provocative, like, you know, the myth of capitalism. Ooh, what's that? You know, but actually people thought I was saying stress is a myth and I don't want to read that book. F you. So, so I, I wanted when the publisher called and said like, Hey, we're going to come out with a new like 10th year edition in paperback. I said, well, could we change the title? Because for 10 years, I've been explaining to people, actually, stress is not a myth. And it gets in the way of people actually engaging, some people engaging with the content, which is a different way to understand how stress works. There is a myth here. It doesn't work the way that we think we've been told. Uh, And I wanted to just sort of put that front and center. So breaking the stress cycle just makes it a little bit clearer. I teach people not how to manage stress but how to uh, eliminate it at its source. And we can talk about that, which I, mean, I know you know all about it, but let's talk. 
Well, I don't know all about it. I'm curious. About it. I have questions about it, but uh, yeah, and, I mean, on obviously a, a big time. You know, all the articles over this last year, over the pandemic and stuff, have been about stress. So is that is that part of it, or is it more just you know, ten years the world changed, you know, a fair bit with the internet and everything else? Like, is it a culmination of those two things, or or what's? I think it's mostly the the former. I think it's mostly that the amount of stress this past year has just been astronomical. I mean, for everybody, you know, like no one was safe or spared, and. And it, well, if you didn't have a toolkit to help you deal with the pandemic and and all the consequences of shutdown, and you know, I'm talking to you from New York City, where you know we've had a we've had our own experience uh, with with quarantining and lockdown. If you didn't have a good toolkit, you you couldn't come out of this past year without realizing it. Um, so a book like this, you know, I think the publishers rightly said, like, hey, we should we should probably remind people that this is available. Um, and so here it is, you know, but it's it's just meant to give people uh, a better resource for dealing with their challenges. Hmm. You say we should stop managing stress, and, and that's sort of in line with what you're saying here. Uh, and what comes to mind is it's almost like with like first aid, right? Like, you know, we keep bandaging up, you know, or keep cutting ourselves or something on this thing, but we keep using bandages to try and get it, you know, and then it's like, well, why, you know, maybe stop cutting ourselves? Is that the analogy or do you have a better one? I just invented that. I don't know. Do you, do you <laughs> yeah. When we think I don't about know. Who, who keeps cutting stuff? themselves? Yeah. Um, I do think that there's, you know, there's something about root cause analysis that we're missing with stress. Like we've been told that stress. So the myth, as I proposed it in the first book is, or in the original edition was that stress comes from stressors, that it's a, a function of this fight or flight response that we had evolved when we, when our ancestors were dealing with saber toothed tigers. And that what's happened is over the, you know, the millennia since then, life has changed. So now instead of this occasional reaction to real predators, we now have this constant harmful reaction to traffic and marriage and parenting and global pandemics. And so what's happening is we're told is that uh, we can't eliminate stress. We just have to manage it in this hectic 24-7 world. And what I wanted to help people do was I want to just point out that that's not true, that stress doesn't come from stressors, that the guy who created that concept of stress, a, a, a gentleman in Canada, although he wasn't Canadian, he was like Austro-Hungarian, but he was working in Montreal in the 1930s, 40s and 50s. This man, Hans Selye, built our modern stress concept. And, and created this notion that stress comes from stressors, which is a word he coined, and taught the whole world all you can do is manage your stress. And it turns out that Salier was wrong. He had misinterpreted his own experiments. And, and other stress researchers sort of tried to show him how he was wrong, but he refused to admit his error. And he traveled for 40 years, like the Johnny Appleseed of stress, teaching the whole world Stress comes from stressors. It comes from work. It comes from your children. It comes from your mother. And so we're all still living in Selye's world, whether we know his name or not. So, so yeah, I mean, to use your analogy of, of uh, like a wound that we keep treating superficially, stress management isn't bad. You know, going for a run, riding your bike, breathing, meditation, all these things are great. And I, I love them. I do them. But if you feel like the stress keeps coming back, and you want to understand why and maybe learn a different way of actually changing your thinking. Like if you can get that stress doesn't come from life directly, it comes from your thoughts about life, then learning to change your thinking changes the game. And that's what I want to help people learn. Hmm. 
Yeah, it, you know, this last year, especially this, you know, deep breathing and meditation and all these things, like you say, they're great tools. You know, I've tried, you know, this deep breathing. I, and I've actually had, you know, felt pretty good with it this last, you know, actually a few months, actually, I've been doing it. And, you know, it seems to help. But um, you're thinking that maybe we're, we're trying to use these, you know, bandages, if you will, too much, you know, and, you know, there's too many, I don't want to overuse the wounds analogy, but there's, you know, it's why keep doing, you know, why do we need it so much? Is that you know, your thought on that? Or Well, I, I mean, so let's just try another analogy. Like if there's a hole in the boat, you know, great that you can keep bailing out water, but you want to fix the hole, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the root cause of the, the leak, the water in the boat. Right. And that's maybe so, there's been a lot of analogy in the pandemic about uh, us being in boats and, you know, storms and these sort of things. These have been common analogies. So maybe that, that works really well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I still think like if it's a small issue and going for a run or meditating or a drink at the end of the day is all that it takes, then great. Those are easy. But if you find yourself continually getting into a fight with your spouse or, or perseverating, you know, the fancy word for just thinking obsessively about, like just thinking a lot about this issue at work or with your kids or your, you know, wherever it is with our, with our planet, our country, well, my country, maybe not your country. Um, then, then like the drink at the end of the day or the run around the neighborhood or the, you know, the 50 mile ride on the weekend, it's not really changing your thinking. And if stress management is the only tool in your toolkit, you're going to have to do that every day forever. Well, yeah. If you learn yeah. a different it, way it, to think, then, it, you know, you may not need that as much. And I guess it would become maladaptive, especially, you know, we see this in our exercising, you know, training population, right? Where, you know, I go for a bike ride to clear my head, yeah. but, but then I have to go harder or I have to go longer and keep going harder and going longer, right? And it's maybe not as apparent. But, you know, at some point you're, you're biking away or running away from your problems. Um, and then you could it's probably more obvious with drinking, right? Like a drink at the end of the day is OK. But like, you know, a lot of drinking at the end of the day is, is maybe not. Yeah, I think there's probably an inverted view, you know, like a little bit of something is good for you. And then you reach a point where that's like the perfect amount. And then if you go beyond that, then it's not working for you anymore. I mean, you can't ultra marathon every day. You know, you can't have five drinks every day. It has a cost. Um, so by learning to think differently, it doesn't, it just can complement. It doesn't have to replace your other tools. Like you can still enjoy the other stress management tools, you know, but when you learn to think differently, it, it just changes the math around this. Because if I have an issue with my wife or my kids and I, and I do, so I teach people this seven step process that, um, flips a switch in how you think when you do this, when you do this process, you don't need the drink anymore. You don't need to go out on that ride or, you know, whatever it is the same way. You can still do those things and enjoy them, but they're not coming from this kind of escape valve um, because the thinking has changed. And that's what I want to at least present to people as an option so that they can understand that real, like if you think of physical fitness and elite physical fitness, like there's a process for that, that you help teach people. Mental fitness is the same thing. Like we can think of this as elite mental fitness. There's a process for learning to think in the face of challenges. And I want to make that more accessible. And, and I think like a lot of processes, Molly and I were just talking last night sort of in preparation for this. And, and I think often when we get into sport psychology or, you know, psychology or any of these elements, um, you know, the analogies often, I, I think, deal with like that super stressful day at work or you're about to get divorced or the race day, especially with like sports. Like, but I think 
you know, that would be weird for me as a cycling coach to start, you know, only talking about race day or only dealing with race day. It's, it's, you know, we have to do this in training, right? So Mm -hmm. do you think in the same way with these, you know, tools for stress or, or your seven steps, for example, you know, is it worth thinking of these as a training process that you do, you know, maybe even with easier, you know, topics to start? Um, Do you think it's worth thinking about it that way? I absolutely think it's worth. So this is why I built the Resilience Academy um, at at resilienceacademy.com, because the idea was I wanted to take the same structural uh, approach to training that you would see in cycling or really any level, any sport where people are um, competing and training. Uh, I mean, it could be CrossFit. It could be, you know, it doesn't matter what. Like we understand in the physical modalities, training looks as structured training is structured. But in, in mental health, it's not really the same thing. I mean, there's therapy, which, you know, going back to Freud, you would have to do three or four times a week for life. And now even in our more modern cognitive uh, framework, people are still kind of expected to go every, you know, every week indefinitely. Um, but what if you take the same sort of approach to physical fitness and then map it onto mental fitness, and then you give people a kind of beginner section to work through, like to experience it and to build skills. And if they like it and they feel like this resonates, they can go to intermediate and then advanced. And and who knows, maybe even like become competitive in the space of mental fitness where you are really skilled and trained at dealing with the kinds of challenges that come up in life. That's what the Resilience Academy is meant to do. And I will say I've tried it. Uh, you know, you can get started for free over there too. And you have some great free content as well. And then, you know, it's, it's very valuable. And, you know, even after reading your book, I'm like, Oh, okay, that makes sense. And you have some great, I I really like case studies. That's how my brain works in school. I always got frustrated when there wasn't, you know, give me a practical example of this, right? So you have some great stories and practical examples there where you can sort of map your own experience a bit onto that. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, I wonder, do you want to get into the seven steps or, or what do you think? Should we go with that? Or how do you like to go into them? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, so if people let's talk about what these seven steps are for, like what they're supposed to do. Um, And then if people want to try it instead of kind of describing it um, this way, like it's just confusing. I think when people are listening to try and follow through it, I would just take them. I would say, like, take them. They should take up your offer to try or my offer to try it for free at resiliencecademy.com, because the reason why the Resilience Academy is free to, to try is 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 for this reason. Like I want people to be able to kick the tires uh, without paying anything for that. Because the experience is really what matters. Like no one had ever, you know, ridden a bike. You can't just talk about it. Like you want to get them on a bike so they can ride it, right? We try, we try, but yeah, you're right. You got it, at some point you got to, you have to do it for sure. I I like that, I like that. Um, So yeah, tell us what what are the seven steps for? So it turns out that whenever you have a breakthrough in life, let's say you struggle with something in a relationship for, it doesn't matter how long, let's say weeks or months, and then you have a breakthrough. There's this there's this moment of insight where that light bulb goes on above your head and you see something you hadn't seen. That insight normally happens passively. So you don't know how, why that light bulb went on. You don't know how to make it happen the next time you get into a fight with your loved ones or at work or wherever it is. The idea behind these seven steps, which are called active insight, is that it turns that light bulb on on demand so that you would come into this stressed out. Like it's not a myth, like you're angry, you're frustrated. And I use the word stress very broadly. So it's anger, frustration, sadness, worry, anything that's negative, I call stress. 
you come into this stressed out. And, and the first step is you're just gonna distill your emotional experience of anger or frustration into a single sentence using the words, typically at the beginner level, using the words should or shouldn't. So my spouse should appreciate me more or my, my mother shouldn't be so needy. My daughter should listen to me. My, um, I should be in better shape. You know, I should be, I should have won that race. Like you're going to find something that you legitimately feel is true and is stressful for you. That's step one. You write that down using this worksheet. And then the remaining six steps challenge that so that you look at that thought and your situation through a different lens. And, and that's the part that just talking about it like this is, you know, a little abstract, but, um, but really it's, it's sort of like uh, a process of, it's a reframing process where you're going to test the validity of your belief uh, in a very specific way. And, it, and that's where it's surprising because you haven't, you, you, people who do this can have an insight that completely turns their thinking on its head um, and there, and they'll come out of this. I mean, I, you know, do this, this is what I do is I teach people this process and I hear these stories all the time. I've been in therapy for 30 years and I've never had an insight until I went through these steps because the point of therapy isn't therapy. The point of the therapy is to have that breakthrough thinking. And that's what this is meant to reproduce. Not that I have anything against therapy. I'm just saying. Like. <laughs> well, no, there's different things for different people for sure. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I like this. You're almost like actively pursuing, you know, you're saying insight. Uh, you could almost say like, it's like a paradigm shift, right? Like I believe this, you know, so much that I was angry at this person for telling me that I sucked at work or I, you know, whatever. Um, and I was so sure that I was right, I guess. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. they shouldn't have said that to me. Um, and then we look at the opposite. And then, so that's interesting. I never thought about, as much as I liked it, I never thought about it as like you're shifting that paradigm or that insight. You're getting insight into an alternative uh, interpretation, right? Yeah. And in that, an insight, that kind of insight is a, a natural function of our mental operating system. Everyone can experience insight. We all have the ability to sort of think again and reframe our thoughts. It's just rare because we want to be right. You know, and so we, we can spend our lives wanting to be right in our marriage or, or with our uh, coworkers or in our community. And I, I think one of the first things that this uh, step asks, that this process asks someone is, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because if you want to be right, then a process like mine, like Active Insight, is not appropriate yet. Um, you know, there are times in my life where I wanted to be right. And I wasn't interested in insight. I wasn't interested in peace of mind. I was interested in being right and trying to change everybody else. And, and that's okay. It's just eventually, I, you, know, you, may, you may become open to you know, realizing that it doesn't always work. Like you can't always get everyone to do things the way you want. Um, and then having a toolkit to change the way that you think and then approach the situation differently could have value. What an... an uh, you know what a, i've seen the question but even just you saying it there is just you know what a question to just sit and think about for a second um you know do you want to be right or do you want to be happy yeah i mean if i were gonna say you know i'll give you a little pro tip like a more advanced level is do you want to feel right or do you want to feel happy because you're not actually right i mean when you think like my wife should appreciate me more you know the, so so let me I'll i'll kind of share one more step from, from the seven steps, which is you're going to flip that thought in a very specific way. Like my wife should appreciate me more in step one. 
and step four becomes in reality. She should not appreciate me more at this time. Um, and, and, then, and then I'm gonna look for proof for that. Why is it true that in reality, she should not appreciate me more at this time? And the mind that wants to be right will just say, well, that's, there's no truth. She should, she should appreciate me more. Look at all the things I do for her. Like I'm an amazing husband, whatever it is. But if I'm, if I'm interested in peace of mind and not in being right, if I see the cost that my desire to be right has in my life, in my marriage, you know, with my peace of mind, my health, my, my ability to compete, I mean, you know, everything is connected physiologically, psychologically. Then in step five, I'm going to look for, for uh, proof for this crazy idea. In reality, she should not appreciate me more at this time. And, and again, this is where the training comes in, because you're going to have to learn how to do this and what that means and how we're using language. But someone who's good at that, even at a beginner level, might come up with things like, well, in reality, my wife should not appreciate me more at this time because she's busy. She doesn't know, you know what I'm doing right now that's, that's so wonderful. And I may not be doing the things that she actually cares about. You know, I may not have asked her, what are the things that I can be doing that would make you appreciate me more like maybe i'm doing things that annoy her or i need to do other things that would have more value in her eyes i'm not having conversations with her that are open and honest about both of our needs right and we haven't built that into our marriage let's just say hypothetically that could be why in reality she should not appreciate me more than she does at this time so this process takes that experience of coming into this contracted with a belief and then and then kind of diving into it and looking at something else and coming out of that expanded and seeing the truth more fully. Um, and it really is, you know, I think of this as a, like a sport, you know, where ha we have all these, there's just so much stuff happening online about mobility, right? And physical mobility. But this for me is about mental mobility and being able to move your mind so that in your marriage, with your kids, with our world, with politics, with the things going on around us, we can actually stay fluid and flexible and happy. We're just taking a quick break from today's episode to talk to you about Inside Tracker. So, you want to take charge of your health and wellness. That's why you're here. You're trying to do all the right things for your body to get more energy, better sleep, and a healthy immune system. And you probably want to improve your performance. And of course, live a healthy, adventurous life for a long time. But it's confusing out there. There's so much information and misinformation, and what works for someone else might not work for you. You want a clear picture of what your body looks like on the inside, a clear measure of whether your diet and exercise choices are helping or hurting, and a clear idea of who and what to trust when it comes to health, wellness, and performance guidance. Founded in 2009, Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. The recommendations that come from the analysis are ultra-personalized, and you can choose the ones that are most compatible with your lifestyle. Each recommendation is directly linked to a peer-reviewed scientific publication. And Inside Tracker doesn't just show the normal biomarker zones, they show you the optimal biomarker zones and numbers that are best for your body. And now, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/consummate. That is insidetracker.com/consummate. All right, now back to the episode. The idea of a paradigm shift 
what occurred to me was, you know, as, as we came into the pandemic, we were actually in Spain right as it was happening. So like Barcelona, like, I don't know if that was really epicenter. I mean, China, I guess, but like it was, it was getting pretty hectic there. Um, so we flew back actually to, to Newark. Um, and so it was like really hectic, like probably some of the couple, a couple most hectic times in my life. Um, and it was so interesting. We were able to, once we got home and, and, you know, we're otherwise safe, just how things changed for us, you know, in, in the almost a blink of an eye, but over the course of a day or two from, you know, you're grumbling about work or this person should do better with this or, you know, all these should statements we're talking about to it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, just complete like paradigm shift of like, I don't even know what I was mad about. And it was the most, you know, we talked about in some cases, like we were talking about it, like, a fault, like most of what we were talking about during the day were these like stressors, you know, mm-hmm. like, as you say, lack of a better word. Um and then that paradigm came. Do you think that there's been, you know, at least at that period, you know, a year ago, a year and a bit ago, do you think was was there more openness to this idea of paradigm or, or more space even to explore some of these stressors? Do you think, did you see that in, in your work as you, you know, early in the pandemic? Uh, I think it's it depends a, a lot on the individual's experience. Uh, over this past year, there are some people who um, who recognize that they had it relatively good compared to the like the really tragic stories that unfolded and are still unfolding in other parts of the world. Um, and those people who who felt relatively uh, lucky or fortunate, I think, had what you're describing, where they felt like, well, you know, I'm not going to complain about the little things in my life because look, we're we're doing by comparison, we're doing really well. But then you had, I mean, 600,000 people died, you know, in the U.S. I don't know how, what the number is, a couple million over the, the whole world. Like it's, there are people attached to those lives or deaths who had, who have had like a completely different 14 months, 15 months. And, and then it'll, and it'll always be different, you know. So now like here in the States, people feel like, oh, we're coming out of this thing and then everything's coming back to normal. In some of the southern states, it looks totally normal. You know, people are living life as if this never happened. But uh, that that uh, variability of the response, I think, is fascinating. You know, the people who felt kind of spared of it all and didn't really touch it firsthand, they can they can go back to feeling like things are normal. But there there are millions of people who that's not their experience, and I and I don't want to speak for those people because I'm sure that for them this wasn't you know there's there's nothing positive about about this period now trying to come back to normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess, so let me take it a different way then. Um, The pandemic is tough, but when we do have, you know, I'm sure everyone's experienced some sort of paradigm, right? We were going to be right about something and then you walk around the corner and you realize it was something different, right? Or someone says, you know, you've seen it in movies even, right? Where, you know, someone was so convinced that something was the case and then you learn, you know, after the fact that this is how it happened. Um, And that's, that's what we're really pursuing here. Um, you know, with this process. And, and I do, I found as I was reviewing, I guess for my own personal story, as I was coming, we're, we're easing our way out of the pandemic, we'll say. And so I can feel, you know, we're doing more stuff in person. We're doing, you know, the world's, you know, coming back a little bit and I can feel some of those other stressors coming back. So actually it was al- almost, you know, it was, it was interesting how I sort of picked up your old book and started looking at what you're into. And I was like, oh, there's a new version coming and he's doing all this <laughs> stuff and your Resilience Academy. So I was really excited about that. 
um, because I felt like, you know, this stuff's coming back and I'm starting to have more of these you know, one-on-one interactions with people, right? And there's a lot of good stuff in that. Um, but I guess that's, that's my question. So when we have these should statements, the next state, the, the, if we had to summarize it, the, the next step is really looking at what would be the, the, the opposite. Would you agree with that? Like that's sort of our next step when we, when we're having these and we can recognize, I said to you, that, that was where I'm at. I can recognize yeah. the should when I'm saying to myself, you know, that is a stressor if I should, should not. Yeah. So, well, for, first let me, you know, politely push back on your use of the Please. word stressor. Because you know, I think that so stress is real, right? Stress is a real thing, and for me, it's it's all the negative emotions. But stressors don't exist. There's no such thing as as a stressor because nothing has the inherent power to produce stress in you. Things happen, and then you experience stress or you don't, depending on your thinking. Now, I'm not minimizing the real challenges in our lives. I'm not saying those aren't real. Those are real. I'm also not minimizing our emotions. Those are also real. I'm just pointing out that the things that happen don't absolutely inherently trigger your emotions. There has to be this intermediary step. But when we use the word stressor, we blind ourselves to the subjectivity of our experience. We, we, we lock ourselves into thinking that that thing that's happening there has to have this effect over here on me. And we know that that's not true. You know, for example, I mean, so my kids are little. My kids are, are five and seven. And my five-year-old talks about monsters. Like the other day, he, you know, this weekend, he wanted me to walk down the hall in our apartment with him and hold his hand because we turned the lights out. And he's like, there's a monster in mommy's office. So like, we don't teach our kids that monsters are actual things in the world that can create these feelings in them. We teach them to turn the light on and see that there is no monster, right? That's like, we wouldn't go around as parents saying, everyone be careful, there could be monsters. And yet when we talk about stressors, we're sort of doing that. Like we're teaching ourselves and the world that there are things out there that produce these feelings in us and the best we can do is manage it. So in this other paradigm, to use your word, in my paradigm or the one that I'm you know, uh, part of, there are no stressors. Nothing has the inherent power to produce my emotions. I have thoughts about things. And if I don't like the way I'm feeling, I can look for the thinking and then challenge it. And what you're describing with, I mean, this part of the worksheet that that flips our thinking on its head, you start with that stressed out thinking um, and you learn to, I mean, you could say falsify it. You know, the fastest shortcut to peace of mind whenever you're stressed out would be to stop and say, is there any way in which what I'm thinking may not be true? Like, can I see how what I'm thinking could be false? Um, if I think like I should weigh less, you know, could I challenge that? Like, how could that be? Well, in reality, I should not weigh less at this time because, you know, I, I joined a gym and don't go or I'm eating for taste instead of the effect on my body. I haven't studied nutrition. I haven't found micro habits that I can help build, you know, new behaviors around. That's why I should not weigh less at this time. Right. So what we're learning to do with this isn't um, manage stressors. It's to, to challenge the way that we uh, see the truth around us, if that makes sense. I think so. I think that that's exactly the idea, right? And it's, I think the yeah. sense of, how do, you, how do you see busyness relating to stress? You know, this idea that like, I, I, I'm so busy, I, I shouldn't be this busy. Um, well, yeah, I'm so busy. I mean, people love to, to, it's like the, I don't know, at least in the States, that's like our religion, 
you know. Yeah. Like well, you have to be busy or else you're slacking off. But then yeah, I mean, you're, also you're not American. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about Canada, but in America, I like that too. Yeah. You're, I mean, okay. So we'll just say, you know, th this, so I think that a lot of that when people talk about, oh, I'm so busy, like that, they're, they're proud of that. You know, it's a little virtue signal. Like I've got all this stuff going on. Let me show you my apps that manage every second of my minute, every second of my day. But if you think you shouldn't be so busy, that's different. For me, that crosses a line where someone isn't just virtue signaling on how busy like the Puritan work ethic times 10. Like they're not just saying to everyone, look at how busy I am. They're experiencing that it's redlining. And if that's true, then I would, then I, then that becomes fair game for Active Insight and for the Resilience Academy, because then you're going to look at, or I should probably push the book, Breaking the Stress Cycle. Like you're going to then um, look at that thinking and, and how your own thinking is part of your sense of being overwhelmed and how getting clear in your head could change the way that you get clear in your life. Do you see that, you know, because I could see a world and I, I know people, I probably do this myself, where there's that, you know, I'm so busy, you know, yeah, yeah, really, really busy. But then, you know, inside you are, you are actually feeling I'm too busy, right? So you wouldn't mm -hmm. necessarily tell someone else that you're, you're too busy. Um, yeah. But you can just, I can see how that would work through the, the seven steps where you're, you're looking at like, well, yeah, I say yes to everything. You know? Right. Right. I'm no, terrible I, at saying no. I'm not good at delegating. I mean, I also brag about yeah. being so busy. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I don't want to give up this thing that I, you know, feel proud of, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, this is what happens when you start, if you were to step into this space of honesty, you know, active insight as a, as a tool for greater honesty. Um, and, that, and that really stress reveals a kind of missing insight. Like the antidote to stress isn't relaxation, it's insight. It's greater honesty and clarity about the world as you experience it. It's a challenge because it means that you're going to call yourself, uh, call yourself out on some things that, you know, you may have been sort of hiding from yourself. Yes, this strikes me as like we're, we're working our way towards a, you know, there's an awareness or I don't know if this is like self-actualization or, or what, what level of uh, Maslow's hierarchy we're uh -huh. on here. But you do have to be almost in a place where you, you have that space to work through it. Um, yeah, if you're still in survival, you know, food, yeah. safety and shelter, then do not you don't need active insight right. or, or even breaking the stress cycle. like you need, a, you know, to get food on the table and a roof over your head. Um, okay. You've, you've yeah. mentioned a couple examples already here. Um, you, you touched on the weight loss one I, I like, cause you go through, it's not that you're saying anything about weight loss, but you do, you do a good job. I thought of, cause it's a pretty touchy subject, but you do a good job mm -hmm. of just, these are some possible reasons people might come up to nutrition by, you know, when they're stress eating. Um, you even mentioned, you know, people are getting older, you know, maybe it's, yeah. uh, this is part of getting older that we're, you know, we have more, less muscle mass. You know, this yeah. Is, Metabolism slows down. Yeah. Yeah, and there's yeah. so many things like that where it's like maybe this is normal and it sucks in some ways, right? But you know, this is you know, can we fight this, right? Like, why? What is a reason that you should, right? And, and that's so I found that one was really helpful. I wonder if we, you know, even touch on one. I, I think I, again, I don't want to touch too much on race day because that gets almost like too much. But I think a lot of times what I see with my clients is it's, you know, we're out on a, a, doing a workout and there's maybe like a, a pace with runners or a wattage for cyclists or mm -hmm. something. And, and we're not performing the way we want to. You know, we're going up a hill and we're going too slow in our mind. I should be going faster. Mm -hmm. I should have done better on this workout. 
Um, maybe, you know, would, would, you, would you humor me and let's go through, you know, even just a couple of the steps then for that. So we know, okay, we're going to say I should not, in reality right now, I should not be going this fast. And then what might that play out then, in, in, you know, after that, that point of the, the, the stepwise process? Well, so, I mean, let's, so let's pick a sport. Do you want to do right, running or cycling? Let's do cycling. Sure. That's, that's so let's say, want. you know, let's say, you know, I, I, I did the race. You know, I wanted a certain time. So give me an example. What, what length race are well, we? Let's, let's stick with workout. So today I was out doing a workout and I was going to go okay. up this hill four times and I yeah. was going to do 300 watts, but I only yeah. did 290 and I felt really bad. It felt harder than I thought it should. Yeah. So, so if my head doing that thinks like I should have done 300, you know, four times. Um, and I'm going to look at why in reality I should not have done 300 watts uh, today at this time. I'm going to, I'm going to do a kind of post-mortem to look at, you know, it could be nutrition, it could be weather, it could be whatever training protocols I've done or not done, whatever, you know, sweet spot training, endurance, like anything in there. I mean, I've got trainer road, you know, oh, I ride on my bike You know here. what it's all about. There you go. You got terminology. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's it. So, right? And so there's a, right, a, a zone, maybe that maybe you were in the zone and people sometimes like key in on 300 because it's a round number, but it's like, no, the zone was 290 right. to 320. You did 290. <laughs> what are you yeah. freaking out about? <laughs> yeah. Well, but that, I mean, what the beauty of sports uh, in our, in our sophisticated current coaching universe, whether it's gymnastics and you're watching Simone Biles or whether it's cycling and you're watching people who are, you know, I mean, now... The, the, like the coaching power I have with trainer road on my phone, I shouldn't be plugging trainer, but like whatever was swift with swift. And like, I've got a kicker over here. Like the, the tools that we have all reinforce the reality that if I don't get the results that I want, I can look back to the training and see why. Right. And so if I can, if I finish a race and I didn't win, I don't really in, in competitive sports, I can't really say I should have won because I can see exactly why in reality I should not have won today because the, the, the competition was better that, you know, maybe they were doping, but like there were, there were reasons why I can see why in reality I should not have won. S competitive sports don't give you the luxury of, of, of being ignorant. Like everything is identifiable in the postmortem. And if you don't know why you didn't win, you can, you can get a coach, you know, I can, I can call you up and be like, well, right. here was my race. Why didn't I get to 300 Watts? And you can say, well, talk me through your training. And then you'll figure it out. You didn't spend enough time, you know, building up, you know, at the lower end of the aerobic spectrum. Like you needed to, you need to build more of your base here. You didn't do, you didn't train for this hill that way that day. And you didn't peak here. That's, you know, that's reality. And if I think I should have won or I should have hit 300 watts, I'm not seeing reality. And the antidote is not escaping. Like I can go have a drink, but I'm still not seeing reality. The antidote is getting honest. Right, right. So then in that case, what we'd look at then is, you know, some of these reasons, it might be true. It's also super hot right now. So we have, a, we accumulate our reasons, you know, all these yeah. reasons. But, but just to make like someone hearing that, be like, oh, you're just making a bunch of excuses. But there's a difference. Like we're not making excuses. We're understanding. So it's hot and I haven't trained for heat, right? Or, you know, it's hot and there, like there's something that I didn't prepare. I'm not, I wasn't taking, you know, electrolytes or whatever it is. But it's not just it's hot. And, like I'm not making excuses off the top of my head. I'm looking for an analysis of why I didn't get the outcome I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I want to make that analysis as thorough as I can, because that's going to be my training laundry list going forward. Right. Because we're trying to, to create like some of those next steps are working on like what we might take action on. Right. Right. Yeah. 
No, so, and, and they're taking action, but there also might be, is there an action where, in, I mean, it's obvious and to me, in, at least in these in this training thing, where 290 might have just been great and you just think it's not great, but it's close enough, right? Like it's within a margin. So is there a circumstance, you know, when we get to that stage in the process where, you know, we might say, oh no, like we're just going to leave this. Like it actually isn't, you know, there is a reason why my spouse is busy and they, you know, they don't have time right now and I'm just going to chill out. You know, is, is that a solution? Like sometimes you well, just wait, uh, so, time, time heals all. Yeah. Did you say time heals all? Yeah, I think yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. no, so so no, <laughs> time does not heal uh, all wounds because we know people who carry grudges forever, right? Time, what happens with enough time is you may stumble on an insight, and that's what actually heals the wounds, right? Okay, so, so that would be like passive insight. We just wait. <laughs> yes, that's waiting. You can wait a long time, like and you know, you wait until Lance Armstrong turns a hundred, and then he's like, oh, you know, I should. In reality, I should have acted differently at that time, because, you know, and then maybe I'll have some sort of insight. I don't, I'm not holding my breath, but but for for the, the the examples that you just gave, I think that there are differences in categories between the different like the different domains of the areas we may experience stress around. So, like my wife should appreciate me more is an area that I want to work on. So I want to spend, I want to invest the effort in getting good enough at seeing the truth there that I can have a, a like a healthy conversation and a, and a healthy marriage. But let's say I think that I should, if I think that I should win the Tour de France or that I, I should be able to dunk a basketball. Like in reality, I should not do either of those things right now. And if I get honest, there's a good chance I'm never going to, I'm never going to do either of those things. Like there's no way I'm ever going to win the Tour de France and I'm not going to dunk a basketball. So doing the worksheet isn't going to change that it's it may just help me get clear on why there are constraints in place that are unlikely to change my marriage is a different thing because i think i mean you know depending on the marriage but in my case like i can work on my marriage you know there are things that i can actually still do there in a way that's different from dunking or winning the tour de france right and you could maybe you know adjust your your dunking goals slightly <laughs> they get like a seven foot basket. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, or a trampoline or, or, or maybe yeah. fo focus on free throws or, or whatever, right? There's probably ways to get better at basketball still um, within that. Um, but it also right. might be, in cycling, it might be that chase for 300 watts might, you know, it might be 290, right? Like that, that might be really good for now. Did you see, um, oh, what was it called? Icarus? Did you watch that? Yep. Yeah. 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 So like, I forget the name of that rider, but like, the, you know, so someone could think, well, if I just, you know, doped, I would be at that level of like the Lance Armstrong. If I just did the things that Lance did, well, but the, you know, that was fascinating to me. Like he did all the things and he, and it did, and he was like, I still couldn't do it, you know? Right. So, you know, like, I think that this isn't about um, pretending or like being delusional, you know? This is the opposite of that. This is a, an attempt to see the truth in less time. So you don't have to spend, waste so much energy. Mm. Like maybe I'm never going to be able to do 300 watts, you know, up that mountain. I don't know. You mm -hmm. can. For now. Um, but <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's all sorts of ways, right? Again, with the dunking the basketball, similarly, right? Like you might do, you know, maybe there's a part of cycling. You maybe can do 290 for longer or more, more times 10, right? There's lots of ways to progress. Yeah, um, that might end up getting you back to that original goal as well. Um, but, uh, you know, in some ways that this is, yeah, 
I'm trying to think, you know, it's like, it could almost be that there's the, the question of like today, you know, we, the workout didn't go well. Is, are there things I can change in my, my preparation or you get, again, you said heat tolerance, you said nutrition, different things like this. Like, are there strategies I can, you know, that would get me to where I'm expecting myself, right? Cause there's a chance that maybe you did, maybe you did expect 300 Watts. We'll just keep on that because you've done it in the past, but yeah. today it didn't happen. And now I'm you know mad about that stress about that. Yeah. I, I also think that, uh, I mean, that, that you'll let me know if, if your coaching clients are using this on very specific statements like that, I'd be curious to hear. There's actually a CrossFit gym in Michigan where these, the kids are working on using this worksheet on, uh, hmm. I think that's what topics. I actually heard about you yeah. was through some of the work you did with CrossFit. Uh, oh, is that, yes, uh, I was on the CrossFit, uh, HQ. Journal? Yeah. The journal. I, the journal yeah. The, I, I did a, a session with, you know, at the time they were all the best, you know, CrossFitters. And then we did a workshop together, which was really fun. Um, well, what did you find with that population? Because they're pretty hard charging. You know, a lot of them are, are normal people in a lot of ways too, right? They're just going to CrossFit gyms. But some of those, you know, they're very elite, the the CrossFit Games competitors. So what did you find? Yeah. Them? Like what's, what's going through their minds? Um, so it was it was interesting. So, yeah, some of these guys have, they've actually won. Like these were, I mean, this was a few years ago, but they won the CrossFit game. These were the guys who like, you know, they're in the, they're the names people would know. Um, and and they had thoughts, like the thought, like what you're describing. With, or the, let's say the guy who came in second, you know, said, like, I should have won. And seeing why in reality he should not have won at that time was eye-opening for him. You know, like he realized that he he didn't have, in this particular case, I won't name names, but he realized like he didn't have like the, the structure, the frame that the guy who won, he was, you know, shorter and he... And it, there was nothing like there were just things that he could identify as making it harder for him to win. And seeing that brings a piece and b a different set of things you can try to change for the next race or for the next competition. Um, but that's that postmortem and that increase in sort of reality and honesty and accountability is uh, is always a faster way of improving. It's just rarer because we tend to spend so much time stuck in this cycle of beating ourselves up and then the sort of delusional confusion of thinking it shouldn't have happened the way it did. Um, but or, yeah, or, these guys, as you said, they're, you know, they, I mean, there's, they're wrestlers, they're former military elite, like they, these are hardcore guys. They're not touchy-feely guys. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. But they, that same type of person uh, could, could go back to the gym you know, and just do the same thing for another year. Yeah. And then come back and become second again. Yeah. Right? Because all they did was the same, the things they were good at. Right. They right. Didn't, they didn't work on their gaps. Right. They didn't work on uh, these different things. Right. There's the CrossFit games are tough because there's a bit of randomness. Right. Like some years they're like, hey, you got to ride bikes all of a sudden. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> right. Oh, right. We never ride bikes. What are you doing? Um, but yeah, but that would come up in that worksheet, you know, so like in reality, I, I, I should not have won this year because of that randomness because like the things that happen to get picked are things that i'm just not i'm not going to be as good at everything as everyone else who's competing like we each have strengths and weaknesses and if this year the cards came up where like the thing that we had to do was a thing that i'm just not as good at that's why in reality i shouldn't have won this year but seeing that helps me maybe make more variability part of my training for next year so that i find my weaknesses but the stressed out person who spends that entire year thinking but i should have won doesn't get there. 
Yeah, and, and even just recognizing, you know, I made a decision at some point to not, you know, do handstands in my training. I don't like doing mm -hmm. handstands. It's my least favorite thing. And then lo and behold, there was handstands. <laughs> a handstand race. Game, right? In, right. In cycling, right. it might be, you know, I don't like, I never train in the rain. I hate training right. in the rain. And then what happened on race day? It was you right. know, muddy, muddy or rainy, right? And this is every big race is in rain and mud. This is often the way. Uh, or heat would be similar too, right? I always avoided the heat of the day. Yeah. Right? And it's like, well, and then the race is at 12, high noon. Every, every single right. time, that's when the right. race is. Darn, why did I lose? I shouldn't have lost. <laughs> right, but <laughs> oh, we could just go back, you know, for years and right. years and years. Um, I actually just, so I had one of these cases and it took 10 years, <laughs> probably the <laughs> whole time I've had your book. Uh, I lost, I was second in this race, like our provincial, like our state sort of championships. Um, yeah. Lost to my arch nemesis. <laughs> and then, yeah, like I just was like, and then, and so 10 years later, it came back finally to the same venue. And I was just, yeah. I don't know. It was just like a change in motivation, I would say, but I, I think I was just training better, healthier. And, and did you beat him? Uh, yeah, he wasn't as much of a factor. I mean, this was 10 years later, but <laughs> I did beat him technically, um, right. but beat like younger people and it was a good race. Right. So anyhow, yeah. I won. I think the more thing, like it, it's hard to win. I, I always find like, I've always struggled like with being second. Right. And there's a different mindset to winning. Um, you know, and being that aggressive, right? And I think it's, yeah, I think you can build that in training, right? And I think that would be part of my analysis, right? I didn't work on, you know, the sprint or the aggression at the end or do any group rides, right? Or train with other people, right? Um, would, would be, would have been gaps 10 years ago that I think I, you know, improved. Now, not quickly. <laughs> 10 years is a long time. Right. Well, yeah. But, but that process of gap analysis and, you know, in, in, in engineering, people do this exercise with the five whys where they're trying to, they're asking like, well, why did this happen? But why did that happen? Okay. Well, why did that happen? And you're just doing this, you're just doing this continual root cause analysis to try and figure out what the causes are. And it's not about excuses. We wouldn't call that justification. It's just understanding. You're trying to bring as much clarity and insight to this engineering problem as you can. And the same thing is possible in our personal lives, you know, like, well, you know, I, I, if I'm gaining weight as I get older or something changes in my, you know, race performance or whatever it is, I can bring the same level of honesty to it. I just need tools that make that practical. Do you find, um, you know, there's a worksheet um, mm. to, to work through in the process. Do you find that people over time, does this, this becomes more automatic? Yeah, uh, actually pretty early on, once you've gone through this worksheet uh, a couple times, you start doing it in your head in, in funny ways. So like this little mental flip that you make, um, you, you, I don't know if you experienced this, but like many people, this happens to me and this also happens to many people who I coach and work with, they, they find themselves doing this automatically. And for little things, that's great. Like you realize why in reality my daughter should be getting angry at this time. Like she's seven, she doesn't have the toolkit, she doesn't have the brain, her brain doesn't develop. Like there's reasons why sh children get angry and throw tantrums in a way that when they're older, they're less likely to. So you'll start making these, these quick um, kind of course corrections. But what I tell people is uh, don't rely on that exclusively because when a bigger issue arises and you find yourself you know, spinning your wheels and thinking, man, this shouldn't have happened. Um, and, and it doesn't resolve itself quickly and on its own. I still get out, I still get out the paper worksheet um, or the online version. The Resilience Academy has an online version because going through all seven steps 
um, is a much bigger experience of insight. And what happens over time with that is that you don't, it's not that you do it in your head, it's that you just do it less often so that it can be weeks or months before you need to really do another worksheet. Um, but then when it's time, I still think do it on paper because it's right. a bigger aha. Right. And I think that that's the same way, you know, in physical training, right? We would go through, you know, even, you know, the best basketball players are going out and going through, you know, their drills and their, you know, the simplest of motions, right? It's, it's mastering the basics, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I can see with some of this stuff, when you're going deep on some of these topics, you know, weight loss, you know, we talked about where there would be a lot of different, like, why might this be true? You know, your answers might be, there might be a lot. I might end into your five whys, right? You might have to go a little deeper and, and even writing, I guess, might be part of that process. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think weight loss isn't, isn't even that deep for most people. Like it's, it's, but if you start working on, politics and discrimination and you know racial unrest and what's happening in uh i mean not just america like all over the the world right now um those are those are big issues and it's not going to be one worksheet um but you know you what you find is you start doing one is something else comes up another should another belief and then you you try tackling that one and then some other belief comes up you know and and so it's not i mean it's not meant to be a quick fix which is another reason why i like the the training sports modality as sure. a comparison because because you know it's not like you're just gonna take a have one coaching conversation and then now that's it you're great like there's always more stuff that you kind of want to work on and to our 300 watts thing it's, it's usually a lot of times what i see is when it's something like that it's like well how many times have you done that workout and it's right. like oh this is the first time and I'm really yeah. angry. And it's like, well, yeah. yeah, well, you know, you probably do that for, you know, five years or so and <laughs> you'll get it right. Like that's the right. idea, right? It, it should be in the try it a bunch of times, see what happens, the pacing, you know, all this stuff. This is the pursuit, right? Of yeah. uh, practice. Yeah. Right? I like that. I like your analogy of, of the, the mental training uh, as a practice, right? Like yeah. That. And the surprising thing is, I mean, I'd be curious to if what if this rings true for you and if you think your listeners would agree. But, you know, if part of what you're trying to do is optimize your mindset for race day. Yeah. You want to work on like the wattage and all the right conditions and the heat tolerance and all that. But also, like, what about working on the, the thoughts you have about your marriage or about your job or, you know, the world beyond the race? Because the same like the stress that you're experiencing in your non-race life it's yeah. the same body like it, it affects your life you know no and that's our and, idea with the consummate yeah. athlete right like it's the idea that especially as middle-aged you know what we call these masters athletes that's yeah. everything right like yeah. you know the the training helps for sure but the healthier and you know healthier as a you know all-encompassing term um if you're sleeping yeah. better because you're not sitting there stressed out and what was your word off the top i have to remember that word you had for thinking about stuff Perseverating. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Perseverating Pete. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's a great word. Uh, yes, I think everyone identifies with that. And I think that's it, right? Like that's the that's the performance we're looking for uh, in and health, really, right? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I mean, you know this, but like the, the sports psychologists who talk about flow and the state of like, they're not saying everyone should have more stress. Sports, sports people know stress is not a motivator. Like you want flow that you want the more flow you can get, the better. Well, and that's, and that's, that's where the, sorry, but the, that's where yeah. the, like using the workout as like, I'm going to just beat the stress out of me. It's like, well, right. no, you're, not, you're not even practicing the sport now. 
right? Because right? you're just thinking about this guy at work you hate for you know 90 yeah. minutes while you're riding your bike. It's like no, no, you were supposed to be, I guess, thinking about nothing but like in flow and, and pursuing this, right? Yeah, I think that this, those stories of, of elite athletes who aren't um, filled with vengeance and and a sort of bitter determination, they're actually just they're just not. They're they're just sort of in the moment, feeling the swing of the bat or the rotation of their you know legs, and they're just in it. And and think and thinking isn't really front and center for those for those moments. But you know, how do we train for that? Like, how do we train our minds? to see things as they are instead of as we think they're supposed to be. And how can training your mind like that around relationships and money and the other areas of your life free you so that when you're actually, you know, moving your body to compete, you have an easier time experiencing flow. That's interesting to me. Yeah. It almost sounds like, you know, preparing to get out of our way. Right. I think that's right. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I'm so grateful that this worked out to have you on. Like I say, this has been, you've been on the list for a while, so I'm glad it timed well with the releasing of Breaking the Stress Cycle, sorry, uh, which is out today. So it should be ready and, and good to go once we get this podcast out. Um, everyone can check out the resilienceacademy.com. Is there anywhere else that everyone can sort of follow you along with you or, or anything else you want to let us know about? Uh, you know, I've been terrible at the whole social media thing. So, uh, well, I mean, you know, I should do a worksheet on it, not, (laughs) but, um, I always feel like it's just, you know, it's just a lot of, it's just a lot of sort of noise and self-promotion. But, um, if someone has questions and wants to reach me, I am going to make more of a commitment. We're relaunching resilienceacademy.com over the next couple months with a new version. I'm excited about it. Great. I'm going to start tweeting. Um, and you know, all the things, Instagram and all that stuff. So if someone were to come to resilience Academy, um, and, and join, I will, you know, then they'll find all the ways if they got questions, they can ask me and I'm happy to, to help, but I appreciate you. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. I hope, uh, things go well for you with, with the book launch and so forth. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's thank you, Peter. Pleasure, pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram, at consummateathlete, and we will see you next week.